Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is the Asian Madness Podcast. A podcast where we discuss all things true crime, morbid, mysterious, and odd from the Asian continent. I am your host, Jessica. Welcome to another episode from the Asian Madness Podcast. So, as some of you may know, if you follow me on social media, that is, I spent more than a decade living in Taiwan, since my college years to my early 30s. Taiwan is simply just such a safe country, super convenient, cheap, accessible healthcare, great public transportation, and did I mention safe? I rarely ever had to worry about going home late on my own, rarely ever worried about leaving my phone or a laptop in a Starbucks to go to the bathroom, and I rarely had to worry about people trying to kill me. That last one is a bit of a low bar, but my point exactly. Living in Taiwan, I was just another Asian person in a sea of Asian people. I didn't have to worry about people questioning my ethnicity, because physically speaking, I belonged. Now that I moved to the US, it's definitely a little bit different. I'm sure you are aware of some of the Asian hate crimes that have been occurring around the world, not just in the US. I also believe it has become worse because of COVID, since it did originate in China, which is an Asian country, so therefore all Asians are complicit in COVID. Duh. Yeah, that logic will never make sense to me. Here's a story for you. A while back, I was walking down the street with my husband, who happens to be Asian-American. We were walking our dog, minding our own business, when a white dude in a car decided to be super rude and racist to us. He basically decided to roll down his window and called us Chinese fuckface. We were definitely in shock, and that was the first hostile experience for me ever. My husband has lived in the U.S. all his life, and he also said that this was his first encounter with overt racism. I've been called names as a kid, like China, or some not-so-creative variation of that. I've been made fun of for my eyes, asked about eating dogs, all that shit. But never have I ever met a full-grown adult who used profanity like that. Anyway, sorry for the long ramble. And you might be wondering... Jessica, what's your point? Yeah, today's case will definitely touch on the whole racism thing, and what happened to this guy is definitely 1,000 times worse than what happened to me. It's not even comparable. I'm sure many of you have definitely heard of this case, and although you might have heard of it, I still think it is important to discuss it. This is the murder of Vincent Chin. 
Some people say it's 100% a hate crime, while some others say it may have just played a small part. Then there are some others who deny the race angle. Why don't you let me know how you feel? Let's begin. First off, let's take a look at who Vincent Chin was, and all the little bits and pieces about him. He was born on May 18, 1955, in the province of Guangdong, China. His life started out a bit more grim than most of ours, as he was abandoned and left at an orphanage when he was just a baby. I don't know if it had anything to do with the one-child policy, but since he's a baby boy, I would think his parents would have wanted to keep him. Or maybe he was an accidental baby, and his parents couldn't care for any more kids. Either way, despite sad beginnings, he was adopted by a wealthy Chinese couple a few years later, in 1961. His father was Ching Bing Hing, or David, and his mother, Lily Chin. David and Lily were a happy couple that always wanted to have kids, but due to her health, Lily continued to suffer miscarriages. So that's when the couple decided if bio kids were not meant to be, then adoption it is. David and Lily were also a bit on the older side at that point, so it was a blessing for them, being able to have a child via adoption. David had major contributions and fought alongside U.S. troops during World War II, and that earned him a spot on the U.S. immigration list. I've heard of this happening to people who fought in wars and, of course, for refugees. I suppose it makes sense, especially back then, when America was rising up and everyone wanted a piece of that American dream. It was probably a lot more achievable back then than it is today. Opportunities may not have been equal, but there was probably more opportunities anyway. So, why not? The Chin family moved to the U.S. in the 60s, first residing in Highland Park, a city in Michigan. Things were probably going okay for the Chin family, until one day in 1971, David, who was already an older gentleman, was robbed. I don't know how it went down or if anything valuable was taken, or if he got hurt, but it definitely was a traumatic incident for him and his family. So much so that they decided to leave Highland Park and move to another city, Oak Park, also located in Michigan. These two places are not very far away from each other, but I mean... A change is nice after going through something terrible. Start in a new neighborhood, and hope that everything might be a bit safer for them. They did have a kid with them, after all, so a safe environment was probably something important to them. Vincent was generally a good kid, and did well in school. After moving to Oak Park, he attended and graduated from Oak Park High School in 1973, then went on to attend the Controlled Data Institute, a technical vocational school. Life went on for the family, and years later, Vincent found a job as an industrial draftsman at an automotive supplying company. He also worked weekends at a Chinese restaurant. Seems like he was working pretty hard, and I don't blame him. He probably wanted to get a head start in life. During this time, he had also met a young woman named Victoria Wong, whom he later proposed to after dating for about three years. Their wedding date was set to be on June 27, 1982. All in all, life was good. Before we get to the main events, there's something else we need to talk about. As you may or may not know, Michigan was at a time very famous for its auto industry. It can even be labeled as the car capital of the world. There are two people to thank for this impressive title, 
The first one is Ransom E. Olds, who founded Olds Motor Works and basically began the whole stationary assembly line work for cars, which made the entire process easier and faster. He also helped start many practices that are still used even in today's auto industry. Olds Motor Works was at one point the largest automotive manufacturer in the entire United States. The second person we need to talk about is Henry Ford, who I'm sure you have most definitely heard of. Henry Ford is the name behind the car brand Ford, and he was also responsible for finding new ways to build cars faster and more efficiently. Like Ransom Olds, he used the assembly line, but his method was the moving assembly line, not the stationary type. So why is all this important? Well, Michigan, especially Detroit, was the main place for automobile manufacturers for many decades, and it was home to what we call the Big Three, which includes Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler. Around the 1950s, things began to go downhill for the automobile industry, starting with the Packard Motor Car Company shutting down, which I assume resulted in a lot of people becoming unemployed. Then there is the whole situation with racial tensions between white people and black people. To put it plainly, racism was alive and well during those years. While Michigan was a great place for families and workers, it was not very accepting of their black residents. Crime became more prevalent and gangs became a thing, so the white residents who were looking to live a good life decided that this place was no longer what they envisioned, and many of them decided to move away. Then we have the whole rise in gas prices around the 1970s, which made many people who already owned cars hesitant to drive anymore, which meant people who were thinking of getting cars were probably like, no, definitely not a good time to buy a car. These cars produced by the big three were also quite large and fuel-consuming, which was another reason why people hesitated when it came to purchasing new cars. Lastly, you have the rise of foreign cars, mainly Japanese manufacturers. These cars were smaller, more fuel-efficient, and had a type of quality that you couldn't find in the then-American-made cars. Naturally, these became quite popular, and thus people were more interested in getting these. So you see, there's a whole lot of complex reasons and issues when it comes to the rise and decline of the auto industry in Detroit and Michigan in general. I'm sure it's way more complicated than what I just told you, but that's a general idea for you. I mean, this is a true crime podcast, not a car podcast. And yes, the whole bit of information is not random, as you will see in a bit. Let's fast forward to the day of the incident. The day was June 19, 1982. Vincent was 27 years old. He was happily engaged, and in just about a week, on June 27th, he was due to marry the love of his life, Vicky Wong. At around this time, Vincent was living with his mother, Lily, as his father had already passed away. How he passed away, I'm not so sure. One source indicated that he was killed during the robbery incident in Highland Park. Another source says he passed away from an illness the year prior. Either way, his father had already passed. So in American culture, it is quite normal to have a party for yourself before you get married, as in your last hurrah before you're forever locked in with one person for the rest of your life. That's right, bachelor and bachelorette parties. 
I personally don't have a problem with people throwing parties for themselves, but I won't deny that it sort of makes it sound like marriage is the end. Marriage is prison. This is your last time to be yourself and do whatever you want. I know that's not how many people feel, and I honestly hope no one that's about to get married feels like marriage is a life sentence. If you feel that way, maybe don't do it. Anyway, Vincent was out on June 19th with a few of his buddies for his bachelor party. His buddies being Gary Koivu, Robert Sorosky, and Jimmy Choi. Or Jimmy Che. The four men decided to hit up a strip club located in Highland Park called the Fancy Pants Club. Prior to becoming a strip club, though, this place was actually a theater of sorts where they showed adult videos. It was originally called the Highland, then changed to the Paris, then to the Highland Arts Theater. In the early 80s, it took a final turn and was transformed into a strip club. It is completely abandoned now, though, so if you're thinking of getting a fun night there, forget it. The four men got a table at the club, brought some drinks with them as the club did not serve alcohol, and of course, paid for a few dances at their booth. The night seemed to be going well. The following account sort of differs from source to source, so I compiled what I felt was a good and likely representation of what went down that night. Vincent and his friends had invited a stripper to come and dance at their booth, and as soon as the woman was finished, a white man sitting a few tables over decided to butt in. He allegedly shouted at the stripper, telling her, quote, Don't pay attention to those little fuckers. They wouldn't know a good dancer if they'd seen one, unquote. I don't know what he was trying to say. Like, is he trying to diss the guys for not knowing anything about strippers dancing? Or is he trying to diss the dancer, saying she sucked? Either way, it was pretty much uncalled for. It also didn't sound like it was meant to be a joke, because I don't really see what's so funny about it. After that comment, the man also shouted the following, quote, It's because of you little motherfuckers that we're out of work, unquote. And all that may have been followed by a few racial slurs. Vincent was obviously Asian, and I'm going to assume one of his friends, Jimmy, might also have been Asian. So after hearing this, Vincent got angry, walked over, and allegedly punched the man in the face. Okay, violence should not be the answer, but it's hardly surprising considering these men probably all had too much to drink, and no one likes being called a motherfucker. Racial slurs and also get blamed for someone else's unemployment. As soon as the first punch was thrown, everyone scrambled in to try and help. So you have two white guys from the other table, and four from Vincent's party. Not sure what exactly went down, but basically a fight happened, which resulted in both men from the other party getting pretty beat up. A chair had been thrown at some point, which gave one of the men a gash in the head. The bouncers from the club finally stepped in, and led the two men to the back to get cleaned up, while Vincent and his friends left the club. You would think that it would all end here, because the group was separated, and they had time to cool down and reflect on their choices in life. One of Vincent's friends, Robert Sorosky, decided to go back to the club to use the restroom, and apologized on his friend's behalf. I guess they had been drinking heavily that night, especially Vincent, and being his friend, he wanted to defuse the situation and make sure there were no hard feelings. He even explained to the two men that it was his friend's bachelor party and that he had too much to drink. 
But this was not the end. While the friend had gone back into the club to apologize and use the bathroom, the rest of them were hanging out around the parking lot. As soon as the two white men stepped out, Vincent confronted them again and challenged them. It sounds like a chaotic and stressful situation for sure. The two men were probably still angry as well, and as soon as Vincent approached them, they rushed to their car and retrieved the baseball bat. That's definitely taking it to another level. Vincent and his friends were empty-handed, and probably seeing that they were at a disadvantage, they quickly scattered and left the parking lot. Okay, so at this point, everyone was probably drunk, angry, and easily provoked. Not the best mix, and at so many points during this night, I wish someone would have just backed off or kept their mouths shut. So here we finally have a situation where Vincent and his friends left, and you would think that this was the end of the encounter. The two guys managed to scare off Vincent and his friends with a baseball bat. So that should be the end, right? If only. Instead of leaving the parking lot and heading home, though, the two men vowed to hunt down Vincent and make sure he suffered. The two got into their vehicle and literally drove around looking for Vincent. As if that wasn't enough, they literally paid a random dude on the street $20 to help them look for Vincent as well. At this point, you know these guys are for real. They are not just trying to scare Vincent, because obviously they already did that back at the parking lot. Paying someone else to help track a dude down is like next level. After more than half an hour, their search finally ended. I feel like the situation could have just died down at various points of the night, but instead, it just got worse and worse. Vincent was finally spotted at a McDonald's just down the street. They confronted him with a baseball bat, and when Vincent tried to get away, they started swinging the bat at him, blow after blow. It's like all sense and reason left the two men, as the younger man held on to Vincent while the older one struck Vincent over and over. There were two security guards working at the McDonald's that night, and they both happened to be off-duty policemen. They immediately tried to intervene when they saw what was happening, but it was too late for them to do anything. The two men were arrested and could possibly be charged with second-degree murder, while Vincent Chin was rushed to the Henry Ford Hospital, bleeding profusely, and his head was basically cracked open. His last words at the scene of the crime were said to be, It's not fair. And the EMT at the scene had very little faith that Vincent would be able to pull through, as there were, quote-unquote, brains lying on the street. He died on June 23rd after spending four days in the hospital. There didn't seem to be any brain activity, so both Vincent's mother and his fiance decided to take him off life support. He was unconscious the entire time he was in the hospital. So the two men were 42-year-old Ronald Ebbins and his 23-year-old stepson, Michael Nitz. Ronald Ebbins had previously been employed as a foreman at Chrysler, but had lost his job a few years prior due to the whole downfall of the auto industry in Michigan. Michael Nitz had also been laid off from his auto work recently. So you see, these two men were unfortunately heavily impacted with the way the whole automobile industry was going. And yeah, I do feel for them, and all those others who had to face a similar situation. So when these men lost their jobs, they felt slighted and angered. People are like this, though. When something unfair happens in life, we want to find someone to blame. Sometimes it really isn't our own fault when things fall through, but at the same time, 
It doesn't have to be the fault of others either. The world moves forward. It impacts everyone. And while some lose, some gain. And the situation can be reversed at any time. Due to the incoming and accessibility of Japanese automakers, the old ways are simply not working anymore. Do you blame yourself for not being prepared for this change? Do you blame the foreign automakers who have started making cars more accessible to the general public? Or do you blame your American neighbors and friends for giving in and buying foreign cars, resulting in you losing your job? Everyone is just here trying to make a living. And while the situation sucked for them, I can't help but feel like there's really no way to place the blame. During the altercation with Vincent, the two men did make racial slurs at some point and tried to blame their unemployment and auto industry decline on them, which in their minds probably meant the Japanese, as in Honda, Toyota, Mitsubishi, or something. Vincent was an Asian man, and unfortunately for him, he brought out the anger these men faced at an unfortunate time. Did they even care that he was Chinese? Obviously not. They saw an Asian dude and lumped everyone together. This is the part that pisses me off, and most probably why many people deem this murder as a hate crime rather than your run-of-the-mill murder. If this whole murder thing pissed you off, wait till you get to the trial, ruling, and sentencing. So at the time this incident took place, the term and idea of Asian American wasn't really a thing. It was probably more like that Asian guy or that Chinese lady even if they were born and raised in the U.S. and weren't even of Chinese descent. They weren't white. They had very distinct features that didn't match with a typical Western standard. So regardless of their birth, upbringing, and ability to speak perfect English, they were not really considered Americans to many people. Another thing to note is that the term Asian American is kind of vague. Asia is huge. There are so many different types of Asians out there. East Asians, Southeast Asians, West Asians. And then we have all these distinct cultures, languages, and customs. It's easy and convenient to say Asian American, but it lacks specificity. The experience of an East Asian American can be so different from, say, a South Asian American. Nowadays, the general public is a lot more knowledgeable and accepting of Asian Americans. But during the 80s and prior to the 80s, this was definitely not mainstream. I've heard jokes about how all Asians look the same. All Asians eat weird things. It's just tiring to have everyone lumped together. If you've experienced this, you can most probably tell if someone is joking or not. If they are not joking, then it's a bit concerning. And the problem with joking about how all Asians look the same ended up taking the life of Vincent Chin, because in the eyes of Ebens and Nitz, it was true. They didn't care if he was American, if he wasn't Japanese, or if he even worked at a Japanese auto manufacturer. He was Asian, and that is all that mattered. Of course, I'm probably generalizing the sentiment for this specific incident, time, and place. It still happens today, though, where random Asians get hate because apparently they started COVID. Anyway, get this. Since Asians were seen more as outsiders at the time, it was actually debated whether or not they should be protected under civil rights law. According to FindLaw.com, civil rights, quote, encompasses the basic human rights that all Americans are guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution, unquote. Some of these rights may include the right to be free from discrimination based on race, right to equal pay for equal work, 
etc. In a sense, the government wasn't really sure how they viewed its Asian citizens. Weird, right? Due to the high crime rate in Detroit at the time, the court system wasn't able to handle various cases, and during the initial hearing for Evans and Nitz, no one from the prosecutor's office was able to attend, which wasn't out of the norm at the time. Regardless of not having a representative from the prosecutor's office, you would think that murder is murder, and those that commit murder should be charged and sentenced accordingly. There is no death penalty in the state of Michigan, but surely the two men would at least get sentenced to some years behind bars, right? Well, wrong. They were initially charged with second-degree murder, then after a plea bargain, it was reduced to manslaughter. The judge for the two men that day was the Wayne County Circuit Judge, Charles Kaufman. He took a look at the case and reduced their charges to manslaughter. And as for the sentencing, they were fined $3,000 and an additional $780 for court costs. They were given three years probation. That is all. No jail time. Nothing. I guess when someone isn't considered American enough for you, you don't feel the need to protect their rights. Only the rights of those who look American. If you think people were outraged and angry, you were right. The judge, though, stood by his ruling and sentencing and stated that the two men, quote, were not the kind of people you sent to prison because neither had been in trouble with the law before and because of their stable family and work backgrounds. I just don't think putting them in prison would do any good for them or society. You don't make the punishment fit the crime. You make the punishment fit the criminal, unquote. I have never heard such garbage. Many of the cases I've covered have had trash verdicts, yes, but nothing as offensive and outright garbage as this fuckery. Excuse my language, but what the fuck? This is not so different from the Brock Turner case from a few years ago. Brock sexually assaulted a young woman, but because he was a good swimmer and went to Stanford, the judge decided that Brock the rapist did not deserve any prison time. Cool. I love logic. Asians are not confrontational people. When something bad or awkward happens in public, most times we are taught to brush it off. Don't make a scene. Don't embarrass yourself. I, for sure, am one of those. I hate confronting people, even if I feel offended, and I absolutely should be speaking up. In a sense, I feel like everyone kind of knows of this Asian trait, which sometimes makes it easier to target Asians, make insensitive jokes, and get away with it. While I do think speaking up and defending oneself is necessary, I don't mean you should resort to name-calling and beating people up. There are tactful ways to go about things. Anyway, after this trash verdict was given out, people began to protest. The usually quiet and non-confrontational people no longer saw this as a matter they should stay quiet about. The American Citizens for Justice was soon established afterwards, and those that supported them included various churches, synagogues, black activist organizations, basically any sort of minority or advocacy agency. In times like these, people felt the need to band together and help each other out, because as minorities, it is important to help each other out. The murder of Vincent Chin was barely even national news at first, but after this extremely light, almost non-existent sentencing was handed out, people all across the country protested together. There were rallies and protests demanding justice for Vincent Chin. His mother traveled all over the country trying to get support and help for her cause, 
even appearing in the Phil Donahue show in 1983. Eventually, all this outrage led to another trial, where the federal grand jury charged both men with conspiracy and for violating Vincent Chin's civil rights. During this second trial in 1984, Nitz was acquitted for both charges. But Evans was found guilty for violating Vincent Chin's civil rights and was sentenced to 25 years in prison. That's a better outcome, right? Yeah, but even this less than satisfactory verdict got overturned when Evans appealed his case in 1986. The audacity. He requested a retrial outside of Michigan because everyone in the vicinity knew of the case and he didn't think it was fair. What a joke. Apparently no one in the auto business wanted to hire him. And gee, I wonder why. It was also rumored that one of the prosecution's witnesses had been coached during their testimony, so that had to be thrown out. So the trial was taken to Cincinnati, Ohio, and during the retrial, he was found not guilty. Even during the two years he was found guilty and sentenced to 25 years, he never spent a single day in prison. Although the men got to walk free, they were still slapped with a civil lawsuit for the death of Vincent. Nitz had to pay 50000 and Evans had to pay a total of $1.5 million. This amount was to cover all the loss and damages he had caused Vincent's mother, as he was her caretaker in all forms in life. They had set up a payment plan, but it's not like he was able to pay much of it anyway. The total amount that he now owes has increased to about $8 million in total because of interest and whatnot. The Chin family technically also has the right to the house Evans lived in, which is called a lien. This term means, quote, a right to keep possession of property belonging to another person until a debt owed by that person is discharged, unquote. So unless Evans pays what is owed, the Chin family will always have his house under them. Except, the house that Evans lives in is not even under his name. This is a great convenience and win for him, because it just means he will never have to lose his house, since technically, it's not even his. Vincent Chin was laid to rest in Detroit's Forest Lawn Cemetery. His then fiance Vicky Wong, stated that, quote, This controversy just goes on, and I don't want to say any more about it. It still hurts me very much, unquote. Vicky tried her best to move on with her life and eventually got married and had two kids. As for Vincent's mother, who was already in her 70s, she moved back to her hometown in Guangzhou, China, in the year 1987. I guess being alone in a place where both her husband and son died was too much for her. It was important to feel safe and to not be constantly reminded of the injustice and sadness that came with Vincent's case. Lily had also stated the following, which can be found true even today, and can be used even outside of his original context. Quote, What kind of law is this? What kind of justice? This happened because my son is Chinese. If two Chinese men killed a white person, they must go to jail, maybe for their whole lives. Something is wrong with this country. Unquote. With the whole Black Lives Matter going on, I definitely think this is applicable today and extends far beyond the Vincent Chin case. The struggles that Asian people face are definitely not the same as those of black people. But this is definitely a chance to learn more about each other, help each other out, and be there for one another. Lily also set up a scholarship in Vincent's memory, 
to be, quote, administered by American citizens for justice, unquote. She briefly returned to the U.S. in 2001 for medical treatment and eventually passed away in 2002, all around a very sad and depressing ending. In case you were curious, here's some recent information on what murderer Evans has been up to. Basically, he lived the rest of his life as a free man, never serving a single day in prison despite being sentenced to 25 years for a bit. In an exclusive interview with journalist Emil Guillermo, Evans claimed that killing Vincent was, quote, the only wrong thing I ever done in my life, unquote. According to the article, Evans expressed regret and remorse for his actions and for taking someone's life. Quote, it's absolutely true. I'm sorry it happened, and if there's any way to undo it, I would do it. Nobody feels good about somebody's life being taken, okay? You just never get over it. Anybody who hurts somebody else, if you're a human being, you're sorry, you know? Unquote. While part of me believes that he is somewhat remorseful and regretful, I also don't have a lot of sympathy for him. If he had just agreed to the verdict and not appealed, served his time, it would have made a lot of people feel better. He might even have felt better. It could have erased whatever guilt he supposedly felt. But no. The article also states that after he was found not guilty for the last time, his life fell apart. His family left him. He had trouble finding work, etc. I mean, what did you expect? He eventually moved to Nevada, remarried, and worked until he retired sometime in the 2000s. I do wonder if his regret and remorse is mostly centered around the consequences he had to face, as in his life crumbling. If his life never changed after he was acquitted, would he have still felt the same way? One thing you may wonder about is the whole race angle. Evans denied him killing Vincent had anything to do with race. Quote, it had nothing to do with the auto industry or Asians or anything else. Never did. Never will. I could have cared less about that. That's the biggest fallacy of the whole thing. Unquote. While he may feel this way, the racial slurs and blaming quote-unquote you people for his unemployment doesn't really help his case. I feel like it was what started his animosity that night, but maybe not the reason as to why he killed Vincent so viciously. Evans admitted that he should have been smarter and should have just gone home, and according to him, he barely remembers what happened that night. He implied that he either blacked out or blocked out the memories of him killing Vincent, but one of the off-duty policemen at the scene did recall that Evans was swinging the bat at Vincent as if, quote-unquote, aiming for a home run. What are your thoughts? During the age of COVID, the whole Asian discrimination and the hate has returned at full force. I'm constantly seeing news reports of Asian people getting attacked for, well, being Asian. And some of the elderly don't make it out alive. You gotta be a special kind of asshole to want to target weak old people. Then you have overseas students and young people who get spit on and taunted for being Asian during the age of COVID. Come on, guys. Pull your heads out of your asses. This is not how science works. Just remember, Asians are definitely not all the same. No one is all the same. Whatever that means. There's so much discrimination in history when it comes to Asian Americans in the U.S., such as the Chinese Exclusion Act, Executive Order 9066, etc. I feel like I could go on and on with this topic because there's just so much going on, 
I don't think I can properly put it all into words without going on a rant and sounding unhinged, so I'm just going to stop. If you're interested in this case, and would like to know more, there are a couple documentaries you can check out. Who Killed Vincent Chin from 1988, Vincent Hu from 2009, and Killer Swing from the Investigation Discovery Channel. Actress Gemma Chan produced a dramatized version of the Vincent Chin case in 2021, but it was immediately pulled due to complaints from those related to the case. It's not just a small-time podcast either. It's got a major cast like Gemma Chan from Crazy Rich Asians, Kelly Marie Tran from The Rise of Skywalker, David Harbour from Stranger Things, and it was even moderated by John Cho. Although it seems like a great revival and reminder of the Vincent Chin case, the whole dramatization is a bit weird for me. Helen Zia, a Chinese-American journalist and activist for Asian-American LGBTQ rights, was quite confused when this podcast came out. I believe some people found it offensive, and no one from the actual podcast cleared this idea with anyone related to the case. A bit about Helen. Helen had a huge role during the Vincent Chin case, where she helped bring federal civil rights charges against Ebbins and Nitz. Her work had helped bring the story to light and helped spread the word. She was also named as one of the most influential Asian Americans of the decade by A Magazine, an East Asian American focus magazine. Mad respect for this woman's work, though, advocating for those who need help and bringing people together. So there you have it. The untimely, unjust murder of a young man who had his entire life ahead of him. Do you personally think this case was largely motivated by racial hate? Or do you think it simply played a part? Some people do believe it happened purely due to drinking and the male urge to uh, fight it out and be tough. But I don't know. If no one in Vincent's friend group was Asian, would Evans have made those comments and picked on them? My heart really does go out for Lily and his then fiance Vicky. I cannot imagine having to lose my entire family in the span of a couple years, and under such awful circumstances. Vincent's death was terrible, but at the very least, it brought attention to an ongoing problem in America, and has also helped those struggling in similar situations to understand it better. It just really sucks that sometimes people have to die in such ways for their voices to be heard. In an ideal world, we would all get along, respect each other, care for each other. Too bad that's not the world we live in, and while I don't believe we can ever get to this so-called utopia, we can at least try our best. Don't be racist dicks. Don't kill other people. Choose your words and actions carefully. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. I want to believe I did okay in this episode by highlighting the struggles Asian Americans might face in America, and by discussing Vincent's story objectively. But then again, I did include some of my own feelings. If you have thoughts on this case, I would love to hear them. In the meantime, please stay safe. Till next time. Before I go, I would like to thank GigglebottomsXX from the US and Beishaka from the Philippines. Thank you for your wonderful reviews. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness Podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. 
If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.